I'm Stefan Siddig, and welcome to American Theater Artists Online, where we talk with leading contemporary figures in American theater. If you've been enjoying the American Theater Artists Online podcast, I urge you to consider donating to help the artists who produce the theater that we all love so much. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, many performers, designers, directors, choreographers, stage crew, and theater administration staff are either without a job or in peril of losing their jobs. The Actors Fund provides assistance to artists to cover basic living expenses, such as food, essential medications, utilities, and more. If you love and enjoy theater, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. My guest today is two-time Tony Award nominee Brad Oscar, who is chomping at the bit to return to Broadway in Mrs. Doubtfire and has been seen there previously in Something Rotten, Big Fish, Nice Work If You Can Get It, The Addams Family, Spamalot, The Producers, Jekyll and Hyde, and Aspects of Love. He appeared in London's West End as Max Bialystok in The Producers, and in several national tours of major Broadway shows, various celebrated productions off-Broadway, several encores at City Centre, as well as regionally at Arena Stage, The Old Globe, The La Jolla Playhouse, and the McCarter Theatre, amongst others. His film and television credits include Ghost Town, The Producers, Madam Secretary, Smash, The Good Wife, and three Law and Order series. Hi, Brad. Hello, Stefan. How are you? I am well. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being on American Theatre Artists Online. We're so excited that you were able to join our podcast. Please, I'm I'm thrilled to be here. If we can't can't do it, we can at least talk about it. Right, exactly. That's what we were saying earlier. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm really happy to have uh, someone like you who has such a breadth in your career of so many different things that you've done. And um, but what I think most of us remember you most for so far is um, your musical theater work on stage. a lot of it in New York. And so I wanted to take this opportunity, since I've got a chance to talk to you, to talk a bit about different aspects of that work that you've done. Particularly, um, you know, you are a two-time Tony Award uh, nominee, and the roles that you were nominated for, um, those two, were, you know, pretty amazing that you got to create on stage. So, um, okay, before I even go into any of that stuff, and there's a lot to talk about, Talk to us a bit about how you're doing during this, what you were talking about, this pause, this quarantine that we're all on right now. Are you doing okay? Yeah, I mean, I'm doing okay. I mean, certainly it's hard. My gosh, my, you know, my very lifeblood, right? Not only just financially, what I've been able, blessedly, to call a career, but, um, and, you know, having been involved in a show that did three previews, Mrs. Doubtfire, on Broadway, literally before we shut down. So, um, Anyway, yeah, look, for many people whose professions have been impacted and taken away by this right now, um, it's, you know, it's terrible, right? It's what you, it's what you do. It's your, it's, it's your, not only your, your livelihood, but it, you know, it feeds my soul. It does everything for me. You know, the, the theater is, my God, what, play, you know, live theater is such a unique and wonderful thing. And I, again, as I said, I've been so lucky to be able to make a career of it. So I've had it in my life 
actively for my gosh you know well over 30 something years really when i think about it with some downtime of course but anyway very spoiled that way but boy do i miss it because it really um you know i don't like to think of my work being you know i define myself by my work that's who i am but i realize how much my work influences and is a is a strong part of who I am and continue to be, you know, and grow and learn and change and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, just, you know, I feel like I'm in a very suspended place that uh, creatively, artistically, certainly, and and physically, Mm because, you know, we're not going anywhere. I'm still, I'm in the middle of Manhattan. You know, we're doing well. It's not like you were able to take a cruise and just relax for a month. There's nowhere to go. Right. Right. So all the things that we might do to take ourselves away from not having what we need or what, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, blah, blah, blah. I'm healthy. My family's healthy. We're going to get through this. We're on the, uh, God willing, we're on the other side as far as having some guidance and getting the vaccine rolling out and people being smart. And, you know, I do believe we we will gather together and do this again, and it will hopefully be stronger and more supported and loved than ever, because those of us who do love going to the theater and are part of the industry in, in, in any way, because we know how many ways, you know, people are a part of this industry or not even this industry, just live theater, mm-hmm. down to community theater, all, the, all that stuff that's not happening. Right. So once we can all gather again, I mean, once we can all do those shows in community theater and Broadway comes back and, you know, I hope that we're going to embrace it with a passion that we, you know, we never had before because we, we took it for granted. And the right. one very thing to come together and share an experience and heal and help and all those things mm-hmm. will finally, we will have control over again. And thus, I hope, yes, appreciate it, nurture it, love it and, you know, uh, indulge it more than ever. Wonderful. Well, you've mentioned a lot of things that we're going to address during this hour that we have together, I hope. One is that you were working on and and actually starting a run of uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, right? A new musical on Broadway. And we're going to definitely talk about that before before we hang up, because I definitely want to hear from that. And um, I know that you also, aside from all your theater work, and I know this is a theater podcast, so we're talking specifically about that, but you also have amazing television credits. And so I'm hoping, this is just me as a friend to you saying, I hope that some of the TV works get started too, so that you can have something that you're working on. I know some of the TV stuff has started to shoot and film with stops and starts. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, it's never been, look, realistically, you know, it's never been my, my bread and butter and sure. I have done some, been able to do some, but, um, but you know, no, my, my, my livelihood, of course, is in theater. But yes, believe me, I've been putting myself on tape. I've got my ring light. I've, <laughs> right. you know, and I know other stuff showing, you know, films and episodics here in Manhattan and, and in New York. Um, so, so fingers yeah. crossed. Fingers like, crossed we can start doing yeah, some of that to kind of warm up, get us back into when we do the live stuff. And I know that you also, and we'll talk about this before we end too at the end, that you're doing a lot of stuff on, on some things online, uh, you know, with, with Seth Rodetsky and some other people. So we'll talk about those because so people can, can hear about it at the end. But before we get into any of that stuff too, let's take a little bit of a rewind. And I want to rewind a bit because I was looking at your, your biography and I was very pleased to see that you were born in Washington, D.C. like I was. Yeah. Yep. I'm a yep. DC native. We're at GW Hospital. My parents are both DC natives as well. Yeah. Uh, which hospital? A GW. George uh, Washington. I'm Georgetown. Yeah. I'm Georgetown University. No. So we're close, but not, <laughs> not <No>. the same. <laughs> but anyway, so you're a DC native, you know, and a lot of people listening yeah. to this podcast are DC uh, folks and some yeah. DC theater yeah. folks. So, um, do you, so tell us a bit about your start 
in theater. So was this something you always wanted to do or did you have a mentor or someone who helped or how did you get in, into this? Oh, God, yes. I mean, all, all those things. I was very blessed. Uh, my folks loved live theater, went to the theater uh, a lot growing up, uh, especially my mother's father. Uh, parents were also big theater goers. So anyway, it was always part of my life in that way that my parents would go to the theater. They even did some community theater when I was younger. So I was introduced to live theater and um, musical theater specifically as well, because they loved music, you know, and they mm -hmm. would come up to Manhattan. You know, I'm still envy. I mean, they saw, you know, the original production of Follies and, and Chorus wow. Line mm -hmm. all, at the National. They saw Dolly try out and Promises, Promises and, you know, just all these amazing shows. And so, you know, I come by it honestly in that way, my, my love of musical theater. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I started, you know, doing all the things, you know, putting on shows in the basement. Mm -hmm. uh, dragging my friends to you know put on shows and then I actually started taking some classes uh, there was an amazing theater department for kids at the Jewish Community Center in Rockville, Maryland oh, on Montrose yeah. <clears throat> mm -hmm. an amazing department I tell you I learned things there that I would that they mm -hmm. would then teach me when I got to Boston University and I was like you know I know how to breathe I know how to do this <laughs> I know how to you know all these I know what Alexander Technique is it was oh. amazing so I learned a lot of stuff JCC as well as a great summer program where we did a musical every summer so I got to play Muddle the Taylor was my first like real role and then Van de Gelder and Dolly and Fagan and Oliver you know those were very formative obviously wonderful years and some great teachers a great voice teacher that I studied with uh, in Bethesda who I'm friendly with to this day God bless her who instilled in me not just uh, technique and all of that that stuff about singing but but uh, some business savvy because she had done it and she was, she's just an amazing person. Mm. You know, you talk about mentors again, the people who really influence, um, yeah, in that way. So yes, so it all, you know, flowed in that way. And then I was growing up again in DC in the, mostly in the seventies and we got a lot of pre-Broadway tryouts. Mm. People don't know out. that, right? A lot of people don't realize oh, yeah. how much DC is sort of a, uh, you know, yeah. breeding ground for a lot of the shows, uh, the tryout yeah. town, yeah. I guess it's become. It'll happen, you know, it has happened actually more recently for mm -hmm. DC, which is nice. The National's been getting, you know, some more stuff. Mm -hmm. Stuff's trying regionally, so you've had some stuff at Arena or whatever. Dear but Evan Hansen started, I think. Exactly, in exactly. But yeah, but no, when I was growing up, certainly, um, a lot of shows would hit the Kennedy Center mm -hmm. prior to New York or the National or mm -hmm. the, yeah, mostly the Kennedy Center or the National. Um, so anyway, I got to see a lot of stuff and that, of course, was huge part of my education sure. and uh, something that I highly, you know, whenever, you know, people are talking about, you know, kids who want to do this and study and blah, 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 and what's, what's important and, you know, studying and learning and all that. But I'm also, I always say, see as much as you can, of course. you know, see, yeah. not, not just professional, not just, you know, live professional theater, Broadway, Kennedy Center, but, but all kinds of theater, all kinds of live performance that, you know, you will absorb and learn from and things will mean things to you that you have no idea how they're going to, you know, come into play maybe. So, oh, absolutely. So, uh, yeah. So, so, was, how, you know, so then you ended up at Boston. You went, you did, you made I ended up at Boston University, not in a musical theater program because mm -hmm. I had done so much musical theater up to that point that I thought maybe I'll get, you know, let me get a, 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 a strict theatrical education. Let me, work, you know, do text and Shakespeare and Shaw and all that oh. stuff that you, you know, that yeah. kind of, uh, and it was, yeah. And it was a choice. And for the most part, uh, you know, a, a good choice. You know, all higher education is in, in, in any art is so subjective, right? Teachers you love, teachers not so much. You know, would I have, you know, loved to be at Carnegie, you know, that kind of Carnegie Mellon program or people were at NYU and other at the time would be, you know, everyone wanted to get into Juilliard, of course, which I didn't. Um, but anyway, yes, I got a, a pretty solid education. 
at Boston University and uh, moved to the city and started waiting tables. Very traditional, you know, in that way. Yeah. I was like, hey, here we go. So. Hmm. And so Boston, did you, did you do a lot in the Boston scene or was it sort of Boston and then right, right to New York or did you build your regional resume first? Or? No, no, it, uh, no, no, it was, well, it was Boston graduating, going home for the summer to DC sure. and then moving to the city in the fall mm-hmm. of, uh, of a year called 1986. 19 cough, cough, yeah. cough. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, no, I, I decided, you know, I, yeah, I didn't necessarily want to stay in D.C., and it wasn't anything... Look, the D.C. Mm. theater scene, of course, was nothing like it is now. Correct. Yeah, it's changed so much okay. in the last... The D.C. theater scene is extraordinary now. Just, yes. I, I believe something only to New York. Um, it's amazing, and I couldn't be happier. And that's how I met my husband. Well, you know, that's how I met Diego, basically. Yes. And you can actually, you know, earn a living. Yeah. You couldn't way back when, but you can actually start... If you're good and you're getting cast and stuff a lot, you right. can earn a living in D.C. doing theater, which you yeah. really couldn't yeah. for the longest time. That's exactly. wonderful. And so yeah. you go right into the city. What do you get off the, the, the trailways bus? And the, no, I mean, like, how does <laughs> you take no, the Amtrak, Amtrak was much more affordable in those days. <laughs> there I we go. Back and forth on Amtrak so much. <laughs> and it was like 25 bucks or something. I yeah. Mean, right. 1986. Yeah. Now you've got to take yeah. those buses if you're going to, which are uncomfortable. So there's really, if you want to get that, that kind of cheap, cheap, cheap ride. Exactly. So you, you, you get off the, the Amtrak and, and you're, you're in Manhattan and what, I mean, how do you even start? Like, what do you even, you, you know, do you get an agent? I mean, how does, how does it even work? Well, well getting an agent, no, I didn't have an agent until, I didn't have an agent until uh, I was doing Jekyll and Hyde, which was my second Broadway show. No, um, you know, agents are tricky things, still mm-hmm. are for many yeah. people, as they were for me. Right. Um, it's like initially. No, I literally, look, I, I was able, I was very lucky. I was able to stay with a family friend who had one of those fabulous Rent-controlled Upper West Side apartments, nice. with you know, mm-hmm. got four bedrooms and a this and a that. <laughs> it, was it was amazing, and so I stayed there until I found my own little closet on Restaurant Row, my studio that I then was in for a long time. Nice. And then I got a job, uh, like a couple of weeks after I moved here, at at a restaurant in the theater district called Charlie's that I had gone to a lot. It was the same setup basically as Joe Allen. It's Joe Allen mm. flipped, like the physical. But anyway, it was that kind mm. of a restaurant. A lot of industry people, uh, uh, kids from shows and, and, and producers, everybody. It was a, a little more cash maybe than Joe Allen, which is not that you know exclusive. But anyway, so I got this job. It was a, I loved it. There I was in the middle of the theater district. I was waiting tables. I was waiting on people many of you know I knew or admired or whatever. I was getting lots of free. We got free tickets to previews. We got paper, nice. which, you know, all the time. So I was seeing shows for free and previews, which was That's fantastic. Again, education, education. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I was doing the thing. I was going to auditions. Now, I was able to join Equity. Here's the thing. I had done TV work in D.C. Uh-huh. on Channel 4 and mm-hmm. D.C. when I was a kid. Uh, literally, when I was like 12 and 13 years old. Wow. Um, uh, I had done so on a news show. So anyway, I had joined AFTRA that point Uh, so in the mid at that point still you could if you belong to one you could join the other two like they were sister right sister unions correct so when i got here after going to a couple non-equity calls Mm -hmm. trying to you know get seen i was like wait a minute if i can buy my card and go to these epas these equity the equity course calls and all that yeah. You know, why not? I'll, I'll, I'm that much, you know, whatever. So I did, and I did. Smart. And that ultimately is how I got my first uh, Broadway show, um, uh, 
yeah, uh, if not my first equity job. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so yes, so I waited tables literally for a couple of years, you know, did mm-hmm. a couple, you know, readings and this and that, and you help people out or whatever. And um, and then you got your first gig on Broadway, which was Aspects. and then I got my first my Love? first equity gig. My first equity gig I got uh, in '89 in uh, Worcester, Massachusetts, doing oh. a production of Foolery, the Tom oh. Lehrer musical nice. review. So that was my first equity job. But then, uh, yes, went to the open call for Aspects of Love <laughs> and ended up getting cast uh, as a swing in the original Broadway production of uh, Aspects of Love. Which, yeah. which a, teacher, a teacher of mine once used to call Santa Barbara with music. Yes, exactly. <laughs> in its own way, exactly. <laughs> not that that's a bad thing. I love, I love Santa Barbara. But I mean, you know, I mean, it's great. It's not a show that would normally come to mind for, for you now as us thinking of you. Now. Isn't that funny? <laughs> exactly. Yes. Well, you know, I was so much thinner then and bustier. Oh. No, um, <laughs> Is that was, it? Well, well and the voice. You have the voice. You know, here's, but, you know, I did was I covered, I was a swing. So I covered all of the character men in the ensemble. Mm. So, you know, right away, I was doing, I was certainly a character, a young character man at the time. Um, I knew that, that, you know, I'd been told enough, again, you talk about mentors, people you trust, admire, who, you know, give you the advice. And I had been told uh, plenty of times by by those very people that, you know, I was probably going to be more employable the older I got. And, you know, being the character man, being the that, you know, that whole thing. So... So, you know, um, anyway, uh, uh, yeah, it was, you know, right? It was random to, yes, to be associated with the show. It was, you know, my God, it was every, it was fantasy land because it was my first Broadway show. So I, I had a blast. And we ended up running for a year, even though nobody really liked the show. And <laughs> it, it sort of rediscovered. It's, I think it's a, actually a beautiful score. Here. Beautiful music. Uh, I think lyrically it has its issues at times, but I mm-hmm. think musically. It's it's uh, it's quite gorgeous, you know. It's, in the way it, it that is you a right. Yeah, and so it's amazing that some of the young younger kids that I teach now they don't know that score because it wasn't you know because it didn't make you know it wasn't a big splash like some of the other Andrew Lloyd Webber scores, and so they don't know yep. it. But there's some really good material for yep. auditions and things and singing. Yeah. But oh, yeah. so okay, so you're then you're so you 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 hit your first Broadway show and then you do Jekyll and Hyde and then you know but let's talk. I mean because we have a limited amount of time, but w- let's talk about. The, I think, I mean, you may have a different view, but your, what I think might be your first sort of like major moment in your career, yeah. which is The Producers, um, yeah. for which you received a Tony Award nomination for playing and originating the role of Franz Liebkin. <laughs> I'm laughing as I say the words, uh, <laughs> which is always good. Uh, so tell me a bit about that experience. First of all, working with Mel Brooks and Susan Stroman on that show. Um, what can you say about them that hasn't been said already? Right, exactly. Well, <clears throat> excuse me, I can say it from the point of view that I was, uh, they trusted me enormously. I was, um, you know, my whole experience with the producers is just crazy, even talking about it. And, and it is literally 20 years ago to the day oh, we wow. are talking, that we were, you know, uh, that we were in Chicago trying mm-hmm. out. And again, I was cast as a swing. So there's a whole story, and we do not have time for it. Suffice it to say, <laughs> the, actor, the actor playing Franz had a knee issue. He had to have surgery. He was out for the final couple days of tech and dress before our first preview and first two, three weeks of performances in Chicago. Mm. So I, as the swing and understudy, because I was a swing, but I was covering primarily Max and Franz and Roger Debris, mm-hmm. and then all these character men in the ensemble, it was crazy. 
That's crazy. Anyway, I go on as Franz in Chicago, and and the rest, I guess, as they say, is you know, history in the sense that it worked out well. They they bought the other guy out of his contract. I took over the role and opened you know in New York with the show officially and got a Tony nomination. It's all just crazy, crazy, crazy. <laughs> not so, only not only did you get a Tony nomination, but the show was right. What perhaps wait, one of the hugest yeah. successes in the history of Broadway yeah. with how many Tony not fifteen. I forget. Um, I, I don't remember. I think so. I think we, yeah, I always forget now. But Some crazy amount of Tony. 12, but I think it's still the record, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember watching crazy. that Tony broadcast yeah. just going, I don't think I've ever seen a show as successful in terms of, you know, Tony recognition and love. And, you know, such a wonderful show is put together. What'd you learn from Susan Stroman? Anything? Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, gosh. I mean, so many. You know, I don't even know exactly. That's so funny. You know, what, what do you say? Yeah, it's what like, do you say? It's hard to just pinpoint no, because, one. Well, you know, uh, gosh, it was my Larry, it was my Larry King moment as an issue. What, what did you yeah, learn? Exactly. <laughs> it's a Larry King question. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, look. Let's face it. You, you, you learn. You know, I, I hope I learned something from you know most people that I work with. That that's that's what it's all about mm-hmm. in a way. And so to work with someone like Stro, who not only um, well, first of all, she did this, so she knows what it's all about. She was a dancer, so she had been on Broadway in the chorus. She'd been doing the thing, Correct. so Good she point. gets it. Yeah. So uh, now there are many directors and choreographers who've been actors, uh, dancers, singers, whatever, who then all of a sudden become monsters because they're on the other side of the table and they somehow feel like mm. gives them the role. I don't know what, I don't know what it is, but mm. then there are, and most of them are, I think those who, who crossed to, over to the other side as were, who then become the like most nurturing, most mm. trusting. You want to do good. You want mm. to be good. You you, I never felt judged in a way that wasn't positive, if that means anything. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. It, uh, <clears throat> yeah, it makes you want to. And also, I, again, it's all about collaboration. So I would rather you tell me, you know, mm, no, that wasn't it. Or let's try this, you know, but, 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 but you know, give mm-hmm. something. You know, I've, I've learned that too. Trust myself. Yeah. Give what I have to do. And the ones like Susan Stroman, like Bob Fosse, like Michael Bennett, who all were dancers in the chorus, um, you know, right. it's such a tough job to be a dancer in a chorus. It's well, such course, a, you know. But, but that being said, and it was a different time, but, you know, you hear horror stories about the way Michael Bennett and Bob Fosse treated their, their core. So, yeah. you know, but that was a different time and blah, blah, blah. Right, but it was yes. back then in the day. But Stroman, but Stroman yeah, is yeah. the nurturing, the nur- was the yeah, nurturing I mean, type. Oh, God, very much so. You yes. know, like, like Casey Nicola, another one. You know, Casey was obviously a, a Broadway guy. And then all of a sudden becomes, you know, again, one of the most sought after and fabulous direct choreographers we have. And interesting, um, Casey Nicola is the, was the director, yeah. choreographer, of, of, right? Rotten. Something Correct. Rotten, which is the other show Correct. that you got a Tony nomination for, for playing Nostradamus. So obviously yeah. you, you re, your work resonates when you're able to work with someone who yeah. is caring and nurturing. I think all actors, right? It's what they want. Yeah, right? So I was going to ask you, the next question was going to be, what do you look for, you know, when you're collaborating with it, with someone on either side of the table? And uh, you've already answered some of that, which is you want someone yeah. to support and nurture. Is there anything else you're looking for? Well, I mean, uh, just, I guess, to be challenged in that way, to be, to, um, you know, to, yeah, that we're all, because look, ideally everyone's in that room working at the top of their game. It's why you're there. Right. You know, okay. um, uh, it's, an, you know, we never stop learning. I mean, look, I, I know we'll get to talking a little bit about Doubtfire, but, but right away mm-hmm. I can tell you that one of the most amazing, uh, uh, like, you know, as you go along, 
big revelatory moments and or experiences don't happen that often because you I've done a lot right it's all and that's not to say you know every new experience is new but anyway working with Jerry Zachs mm. staging a particular scene in act one of Doubtfire that is very farcical working with Jerry Zachs was like the best masterclass ever if I'd worked with Jerry 30 years ago I think I would be such a better performer and comedian than I've ever been. Well, I mean, he has, he has quite, I mean, a, quite a resume. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's done pretty much so, everything. Yeah. So that was, and I'd heard and I'd seen, my God, when I moved to the city, you know, after you college yeah. uh, in 1986. I mean, Jerry was the king of Broadway. Jerry directed, God, some of, you know, House of Blue Leaves, that mm-hmm. revival, and then of course anything goes, and, mm-hmm. and that forum. And, and uh, uh, anyway, so mm-hmm. lend me a tenor. The original production of tenor mm-hmm. was extraordinary. So, um, so like, let's talk. So, we've talked a bit about the producers um, and a bit about uh, we just barely touched the surface on something rotten. But um, how was something rotten different then than the producers? I mean, the producers. We a lot of us know sort of the success story of the producers. Something rotten was a very successful right. show, I think, but maybe right. not as well known as the right. producers. Oh for no, most not people. at all. Well, so, that's what was so. That's what was so amazing about rotten. I mean, with the producers, uh, there was an expectation. People, yes. all the names associated with it you know, carried great expectations. Stroman and Mel Brooks and Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick. And, you know, it was ideally supposed to be indeed what it was, thank God. Um, Mm -hmm. Rotten, nobody knew a thing about. None of us (laughs) knew a thing about it. I was invited into the room to do a week-long reading of it uh, sometime in like um, 13 or 14, (coughs) excuse me. And then um, I went out on tour with, Phantom of the Opera for a little while. And the next thing I knew, they were doing uh, a workshop, a four-week workshop in the city to put it together, put it on its feet, and get it in front of some money people and see if indeed, you know, it can it can really happen. So uh, we did that. And I guess when we did that, there was already this plan in place that it would go try out in Seattle in the spring of 15, and then eventually come into New York if all goes well. Because that's what happens now. You'll do your out-of-town tryout, and they won't solidly book New York, maybe, because you'll wait and see, are things good, do we need to do more work, how much work, whatever. Mm -hmm. So we did this workshop in the fall of 2014, and it went so well. It it just, the piece just played like gangbuster. I mean, it's just really well, well structured, it's funny, it's original, it's, you know, I couldn't, when I first read it, I was like, oh my God, this could be, you know, musical comedies are hard, as we know, yes. to write and instruct, to get everybody on the same page and make it happen the way, you know, it, 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 it does in your dreams. And um, so, yeah, the workshop went so well that they canceled the out-of-town tryout in mm. Seattle, and we, and a theater became available because of another show's sad early demise. Yeah. And... We opened on Broadway in twenty in the spring of fifteen. Now, believe me, nobody had when that first ad appeared in the Times. I'm sure that you know eighty five percent of the people were like, "What is this? Yeah, why would you name a show something rotten? <laughs> you know what's going on here? Uh, oh, I've heard of maybe Casey, and oh, I like Christian Borel, but you know whatever, maybe a thing here or there." And then we got it in front of audiences, and we were as shocked as, I mean, we were just dumbfounded. Because for the first couple months of the run, previews, opening, and then the first couple months, it was crazy. Uh, uh, it was, I, 
in the same theater, the St. James, I can tell you I'd never experienced anything like it except for the producers in that same theater, except there I was 15 years later or 14 years later, and audiences were going bananas and in a different way because they were surprised and delighted. It wasn't like the producers it's where they different. were like, oh my God, yeah. this is wonderful, but we hoped it would be. They having, were like, having seen oh, both shows man. and having seen both shows and telling you this as an audience member, I have never in my life laughed harder than I did at something run. I don't know why. I mean, I don't. I couldn't even explain to you why. I mean, I, I've laughed a lot in a lot of shows, and a lot of shows are fantastic. Don't yeah. I've seen a lot, but I literally was laughing so hard I had to stop listening because I couldn't breathe. Yeah, that you know, doesn't happen. <laughs> of the theater, exactly. That's also a thing. You know, I mean, talk yeah. about celebrating. You know, the American musical theater. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what something rotten is sort of all about. Yes. You know, and, of course, and then the inception of, which is even more ridiculous. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, look, I can't stand up about it. It was the most joyous uh, two years of my life. Uh, I am very blessed. I still can't believe it happened. You know, I grew up listening to cast albums and wanting to do this. And so I still pinch myself. And then to be a part of, you know, something like that, um, uh, yeah, is not lost on me. So believe me. talk, you know, I was talking to, to Beth Level a couple of months ago. And we were uh, talking, I know, Beth's uh, great. We were talking uh, about a couple of, of things, and I know there's a Beth Level story with something rotten, but we won't go there. But the 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 oh, oh, was, yeah. well, of course there is. Well, no, please, Beth. Look, the story about it is Beth was part of the creation of that piece. She yes. did not do the show on Broadway, and Beth. I mean, but Beth was a part of the. I mean, all pieces. You know, it takes a village, and yes. some of the people don't get all the way to the finish line for whatever reasons. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think Beth, I hope, was okay with it. And God knows, yes. Beth is. You know, please, Beth doesn't need any. God bless. No, she's, she's a, doing great. Yes. Uh, yeah, but no, Beth was a part of that, so yeah. I think she should get props. <laughs> and people don't know that you know at some point they changed some of the plot and the script, and therefore they had to replace with another actor, right? Her part. Yeah, I mean, exactly. The at process. least that's what we were told. So, and um, it's good to hear that though, because for people listening in that don't know, I mean, this, like you said, it happens all the time, and people, you know, we in the theater are used to just sort of like, okay, moving on, next thing, you know, and that's you do what you do for the love of what you're doing, and then whatever happens, happens, but. What I really wanted to talk to you about was the, the, or what I talked to Beth about was originating a role that's your role that you originated, creating it from whole cloth versus stepping into the shoes of a, of a role that someone else created. And you have experience doing both at, at a very high profile. So talk yeah. to us a little bit about the difference between those two things and what yeah. it felt like for you. Well, um, yeah, they're two different jobs, of course, exactly. I mean, yes, being in the room, you know, or organically being a part of the process and creating a piece is is fantastic. It's joyous. It's it's scary, but it's um you know, the possibilities are endless. So so if the collaborators are everybody's on the same page in that way or getting on the same page, obviously because the process, you know, is is so random, I guess. Um um so yeah, it's very exciting. It's very exciting to be able to again uh, share my impulses, my gut feeling, my desire, not desires, but, you know, my ideas as I continue to work on the character and the character, you know, becomes, you start to, you know, you get to meld a little, which is, which is lovely. So for Franz, so, yeah. for Franz Liebkin and for Nostradamus, for example, those are two that you've, you put your imprimatur on. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's yours. Yeah, that being said, Franz would come with a big asterisk because, ah, yes, as you mentioned, because, 
the role was not only, of course, originally done on the, in the original film, of course, by the great Kenneth Mars, and, you know, so beautifully done. Not that you're going to imitate that, but, you know, you start doing a German accent and being, you know, in that comical, zany way, things are going to sound, you know, it's, it's tricky, right? It harks but back, also, yeah. Again, to the credit, every, you know, everyone's got to get credit, but, but I came in, like I said, right before we started performances in Chicago. So this mm-hmm. other actor was That's doing cool. the role mm-hmm. in rehearsal, and I, again, learned, uh, you know, my job as the understudy, as the cover, your job is to do that, not, you know, again, you're not trying to imitate it, you're trying to fill it, if you will, right? And mm-hmm. um, sure. so then I had an opportunity, though, to, to then start to, yes, make Franz more my Franz, because I got to play it. You inhabited it. No, I took it over and we were rehearsing in New York, you know. So yes, then it became, yeah. And, and I'm very proud that there's one thing that happens in the producers that's mine. It was my idea. What is I'm it? like, and there it is in the script. Can you yeah. tell us? Can you believe it? Can you, mm-hmm. can you, can you tell us what um, that is? <laughs> or do you have to kill us after? <laughs> I probably shouldn't. I probably shouldn't. It's not, believe me, it's so minor. It's not like a big thing. But there were things that you thing. got to put in that were, <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. please. If sure. you, uh, you know, you had Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick. Uh, and, you know, a lot well, of and that's what I'm thinking that you know later on, and a lot of people may or may not know this because you were you were understudy uh, for those big roles. You know, the Gary Beach role uh, and uh, um, um, Roger Debris, and for Nathan Lane, you ended up going on as in, in as Max Bialystok um, yeah. uh, on Broadway. At, was it after Nathan? What well, left? Yeah. Here's the deal. When I eventually took over France, my only other major responsibility then was covering Max Bialystok, which is how I had been hired originally, Mm -hmm. just as a cover for Max. And then it became all the other stuff. Mm -hmm. And then everything happened. And then there I was as France. Because it's rare that a principal would cover another principal. But anyway, so yes, the first year of the run, you know, that show was a bear. And Mm -hmm. God bless. No one works harder than Nathan. And nobody gives more. And nobody... You know, I mean, I can't say enough about Nathan Lane. So he would go down as any actor, as I did when I took over the role and was doing it eight times a week. I would go down. Yeah, it's, incre- it's incredible what's required yeah. of, of, an a- of an actor. Hopefully, yeah, it's crazy. So anyway, so that first year, um, I went on for Max, uh, wow, over like over 70 times. Wow, so you had, you had it, you, yeah. you had comfort yeah. doing that. Wow. So I was, there was, there was a window of time. It was crazy. It was a crazy, just because it was like, is this really my life? Where yeah. I was playing Max at the Wednesday matinee and Franz Wednesday night and Max at the Saturday matinee. But Nathan wasn't doing two show days. Right. Because it was sure. just, it's insane. Yeah. And so yeah, you I, got that, I, all that experience that, doing right. all those different parts. In that one show, <laughs> that's amazing. Well, so so um, so that was that was the 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 some of the experience and the producers and then in Nostradamus in in something rotten. That was one that you really were you from the beginning always uh, owning that role for that. Yeah, I mean original production. Yeah, and just trying to make you know make choices you know <laughs> early on as to as to who this guy was because you know you can't just play crazy old man. You can't just play. You know, you can't play the comedy, blah, blah, blah. Although I'm sure I played the comedy. But anyway. <laughs> I'm, st- I'm, I'm laughing. I'm laughing. As you're talking, Brett, I'm laughing because you you made me laugh so hard. I, I'm laughing remembering your face. Well, I show. also, you know, look, uh, again, if it ain't on the page, it ain't on the stage. <laughs> Those boys wrote some great stuff. They yeah. wrote, believe me, you know, it was ironic. Uh, it was one of the few times I could honestly say to you, I was happy that material of mine got cut because mm. 
because that was the thing about rotten. <clears throat> Excuse me. We, you know, you have an embarrassment of riches in a certain extent. There was a lot of clever stuff and a lot of funny stuff, but you don't want to overstay your welcome. It's like and, fashion. You have to edit. And, and, and it's right. easy, especially with Nostradamus, because there was, you could do so many jokes with seeing the future and knowing things. But, you know, there were so many wonderful, crazy, and just so many random things. At one point, I had this little skull that I would talk to, and it just ultimately, we, uh, so much stuff back then. And I'll be honest with you, uh, I was grateful because the whole gets stronger. And also jokes that aren't, you, jokes that you think are so funny. We all laughed in the rehearsal room. It went so well at the table read. And then it just doesn't play. And you're like, what am I doing? So you try it this way. And then we talk about it. And then Casey's like, why don't we try it this way tonight? And we try it that way and nothing. So you know what? The next night, why don't we take it out and see how it feels? Funny. And comedy, it always feels fine. You know, I feel like you get, comedy, you know, and, comedy and musical theater and both are very much that way, right? You sort of have to put it in front of an audience to see what exactly. what, what, what lands and what doesn't, whether it's a well, song the or... Scenes, exactly, and the scenes often, as is the case with the producers, are almost as musical as the songs mm. in that comedy has a rhythm. Comedy has a style in that way that, you know, the setup and the payoff and whatever. So, um, uh, yeah, anyway, it was uh, an amazing act, and this is where I also give props to, to, to Casey Nicolau, uh, and the creative team, the Kirkpatrick brothers and John O'Farrell, who wrote the book, and uh, that they were able to see that and make those cuts and choices because mm-hmm. we previewed in New York. We didn't go out of town where you would make yes. a lot of those cuts. I right. You didn't or have the really space to do that. You know, especially a show like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't do that. We, tr- we, we, we took a big gamble. And um, what they did in previews on our feet, uh, especially in Act Two, structurally, much less just cutting stuff to mm-hmm. keep it tight. Yeah. was, you know, fantastic. And, and I, I'm, yeah, yeah. It was so, wonderful to be so part of. We've talked a lot about producers in, in Something Rotten and, you know, you've done a lot more than just those two shows and anyone who wants to look up, look you up in your resume, we'll see. And in, in the intro, I mentioned the long list of shows that you've done on Broadway and elsewhere and off Broadway. And also you're known, I mean, at least in DC, you're known you're regionally, you've worked a lot at arena stage, old globe, you know, La Jolla, McCarter, et cetera. But, um, I wanted to give you an opportunity then, since there's so much to pick from, if there was a particular project beyond the two that we've already talked a lot about, um, is there one that you worked on that you were really, really happy about and that really exemplified to you what you bring to the table and, and what about it was special? Oh, gee. Um, well, I mean, you talk about special experiences and, uh, you know, again, for me, as I said, you, we go into these random jobs that we, we go from job to job. Mm-hmm. And so they all bring with them everything, right? New people, new product, new material, new everything. To be a part of the production of Sweeney Todd that was done here in the city uh, for almost exactly four years ago right now, uh, uh, downtown off-Broadway at the Barrow Street Theater. It was an environmental production that took place in a pie shop mm. that had originated in London in a pie shop, a company that does site-specific productions. The woman who runs the company saw this pie shop that she walked by every day, and it happened to be one of the oldest-running pie shops in, in England, and she asked the woman, could we maybe use your... The woman had no idea what she was talking about. She said, look, you know, we close at six, and I'm sure she had a much better accent. I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to cry. <laughs> but anyway, come 
what happens is they do this inter, they do this site specific version of Sweeney in a pie shop that seats maybe 30 people. Hmm. It becomes this thing. Sondheim sees it, loves it. It, it. Cameron McIntosh helps them transfer to the West End where they rebuild the pie shop, but scooping a few more people. <laughs> and that's what they did in Manhattan. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it was to be a part of a production of Sweeney Todd, which is by far my number one. You know, saw it originally several times. Mm. Uh, just saw it once a week at the Kennedy Center in its five-week run when it opened its national tour. Mm. It is, it has always been. So, yeah, to work on that and... Um, and you played the Beatle, right? You played the Beatle played in that production? Yes, correct. But it was just six of us. So I played the Beatle and then we sang most of, you know, the ensemble stuff and did wow. other stuff. I was Bog, I was, you know, it was... Yeah. Yeah. And Amazing. Stephen Sondheim just, he was there. Mm. I mean, he, when I did the show, I only did the show for like six months. He was there like six times. He was at our invited... It was overwhelming. He loved it so much. It was terrifying and wonderful. And so, you know, that was like, again, another really special to uh, to be a part of it, to be entrusted with that material. Um, wow. Can you imagine to, as a kid when you were doing all your, your theater here in D.C. to think that yeah. one day you would get to, to do Sweeney Todd in front of uh, yeah. Stephen Sondheim? I mean, you know, literally sitting at the table where I'm right. sitting. Sort of weird. Very intimate. Crazy. Yeah. 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 And, you know, it's, it's another thing I'm proud of. When I read... When I got the breakdown, when I got the audition, and I read, I'd heard a little bit about the production, but when I got the actual audition, and it said, you know, whatever, Beatle, Fog, you know, and then it went into this whole thing about actors should be very comfortable, you know, live and improv improvisation and, and, and uh, you know, all that stuff. And I was like, oh my God, this is everything I hate. I think to myself, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fourth wall kind of guy. I'm on stage, you're in the audience, there's a curtain, you stay there, I'll stay here. You know, I mean, in general, right? And I'm, I'm overdrawn with that. Yeah. But, you know, it's not my favorite kind of theater, often that immersive, you know, please don't touch me, please don't touch me. Right, yeah, it's um, a special thing. It's a so, thing. yeah, so I was like, oh, is this my thing? I know it's Sweeney, but, but is this my thing? Am I going to be comfortable? Can I do this? And, uh, man... Oh my God! To to challenge myself that way again, and to embrace it, uh, to have been led by there were, uh, uh, I'm sorry, it was a company of eight, and we had four of the original uh, London cast wow. who were who came over here, and then nice. there were four Americans initially, and nice. uh, and they led us so beautifully in what to expect and how to deal with it, whatever. And so anyway, so that, that was, was a special uh, a special. Uh, I, I mean, can tell yeah, by the way you're talking about a special experience for you, and, and it's good that you got to do that. And so different, right, from the other things that you had done um, yeah. up until then, which is nice. Yeah, absolutely. Just you know, again, that kind of theater and mm -hmm. uh, uh, and vocally to to be responsible for that uh, yeah. was great. Score. You know, scary. You know how that, that's just so scary. We're so always so worried about our our <laughs> instruments. Are we going to hold up? Whatever. Yeah. Well, we're running out of time soon, but before we run out of time, I want to definitely, we've been talking a lot about, you know, what you've worked on in the past. I now want to talk a bit about the future because I'm so excited about Mrs. Doubtfire, the show that yeah. you were working on um, prior to, to the COVID-19 pandemic hitting all of us. So tell me um, what you can tell us about Mrs. Doubtfire, anything about the creatives, anything about the process. Obviously, it was already, you know, on its well on its way to get going, right? When were you supposed to yeah. open or had you? We were, no, we were, we had previewed. We previewed on on March like 9th or something, and oh. Broadway shut down on the twelfth. Yeah, because yeah, we did nine, ten, eleven. 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So right um, there. Yeah, we were scheduled to open the, the first weekend of April. But um, but anyway, uh, well, here's the deal. First of all, it's uh, being written by the same guys who wrote Something Wrong, mm. which is lovely. Working with Funny. those boys again. Yes. Wayne and Terry Patrick and John O'Farrell. Really lovely adaption of the film. Let's face it. This is one of those products you're not going to butts with. Mm-hmm. The, 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 you know, the, uh, the movie is obviously very special and wonderful in the story it tells. It does it very well. It's why it's so beloved. Um, of course, you're adapting it to the stage, so you'll make the necessary changes. But and we're gonna and it's going to be taking place today, so there's certain things that need to be contemporized. Sure. But, um, but they've done a really wonderful job of not, you know, not futzing with it too much, so that everybody gets what they want, if if you will. Not that again, you don't want to write a show for people, you know, specifically. You want to write the show. It wants to feel organic, not written. I wrote that line for him, and I want to make sure I get this in for her. Mm-hmm. You know, but um, I think they've done you know a really good job. Of that. Uh, and, and who are you uh, playing? Who are you playing in the show? I'm playing his brother. Ah, Frank, fun part. Is that the f- him, <laughs> yes, uh, yes, of course. Originated by Harvey. the great one and only. <laughs> the man I'm happy to sort of call my friend, Harvey Firestein. Oh, wonderful. Um, That's a great... So, yeah, um, great yeah uh, uh, yes, Harvey. Oh, please, one of the things, one of the heartbreaks, please, on the scale of things that have happened, this is very, very minor. But anyway, I was, Harvey and I were going to do this interview together about the role right before everything happened. And then, of course, the interview didn't happen. Maybe oh. eventually, God willing, it will. But, you know, again, I pinch myself. I'm like, really? Really? Well, bring them so, on American Theater Artists and we'll have yeah. it here. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> but anyway, so tell me about, so you play the brother, which is a, which is a funny part in and of itself. Within oh, I play the, the show. brother. Yes. And they've, and they've definitely, I mean, again, talk about some changes that have been made. The, the, the character is definitely different than, than what Harvey does in the film. Okay. Uh, just a little bit structurally for the plot and, and whatever, but also... You know, I've been given a great sort of running gag, if you will. I hope that we'll play beautiful. You know, I'm having a great time. And, and as I said, working with Jerry Sachs has been um, everything I, I, I thought it might be and hoped it would be. And I've and learned so much. Are you That's hearing right. anything? What can we expect? Obviously, who knows, right? Everything's sort of on hold. We, yeah. Well, I think um, we'll, we will be back. It's just, a, yes, it's a question of when. And right. so, no, at this point, there's really no, there's no answering yeah. that because, uh Broadway's going to have to get back on its feet first, which means I think that some of the big, hopefully the tentpole shows like Hamilton, mm-hmm. you know, Wicked, Mormon, Lion King, you know, the shows like that, Phantom can reopen and start to get Broadway back. And uh, But the fact is we need, you know, we need tourists. We need people coming to the city sure. to see shows, yeah. you know. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's going to be a thing that's going to take a little time to, to rebuild, but I do know that when that does happen, when we get to a point where it makes sense that you can fill your houses enough to, again, it's all supply and demand. You know, we've got to, you don't want to open too soon mm-hmm. and audiences will be there, especially a new show. Mm-hmm. We can't afford that. So, um, so yeah, but we will be there. We will be there. It's yes. just a question of, a question of when. when. But good. But, so yeah. that's good. The audiences are excited and the people listening to this podcast, I'm sure, are really um, this is really exciting to them because anything that has to do about, you know, what's coming up, a potential show coming up yeah. next for them, that the people are hungry. And by the time we get yeah. to the end of this, people are going to really need a show like Mrs. Doubtfire. And I believe I believe a show, exactly, because our show is all about, and one of the things they've been really good about sort of uh, uh, updating and contemporizing a bit is the idea of what it means to be a family and what a family is and how a family works uh, uh, 
you know, because right now we live in a world, thank God, where that the definition of family, you know, is so much more than it used to be, ideally. And that's what this show is about. You know, a, a guy who just wants to, to, to be with his kids, spend time with his kids, but, you know, they're separated. They can't be together, he and his wife. And, and so anyway, um, I think that, yeah, uh, it will be a show because it is, again, at the end of the day, about family. And uh, oh, yes, well, it's going to be better than all of us gathering again as a theatrical family, as a you know, artistic family, the whole thing, all those ideas. And, uh, and also I don't want to, you know, finish talking about Doubtfire without saying that we're also very blessed to, to have with, you know, starring in this piece, um, Rob McClure, hmm. <laughs> people, you know, who know musical theater in New York, certainly I'm sure know of Rob. And, hmm. uh, anyway, just Rob does such a beautiful job of, again, it's like, you can't go out there and imitate, no. you know, but you, such, a, such a challenge, right, to give it a yeah. whole a different a different spin. But before we even see him as Doubtfire, he has he has captured us so much as the man he is, as as Daniel, as this man, and just who he is. That it uh, his transformation is just fantastic, and we're along for the ride. And I just yeah, I can't say enough about him, and also as a person, as a leader, and uh, so yeah, we're we're a very happy family, and we are. We still meet once a month on Zoom. And I was going to ask you if there was any sort of online meeting going on, because I know that you're, you know, you're doing some things on Zoom. Um, for example, talk to us quickly about, um, I know that you were at Stars in the House, you mentioned. Oh, um, I did a Stars in the House the other night. With Seth. The thing, every night at eight. Yes, dear <laughs> Seth Rudetsky. Um, uh, yeah, he was actually, they forced him finally to take a vacation. Sure, so uh, sure. Christine Petty, who uh, also works with him on Sirius Radio. Yes, and it was a Forbidden Broadway evening because I had done Forbidden Broadway with Christine. I was Bennett. about to say you're both Forbidden Broadway alums, right? Exactly. Which is one of, exactly. What a great show that is too. We'll have yeah, to have a whole other podcast just, just to talk about. They do that. so many wonderful and the act, and you know, and again, it all supports the Actors Fund, which is an organization that I can't say enough about um, as well. Yes, as and anyone anyone listening in today, hopefully, please donate to to the Actors Fund dot org yeah. uh, because it's helping actors and everyone uh, involved everyone. in the theater, exactly. uh, not just actors. Anybody connected to the entertainment industry in that the, way. And yeah. we need it now more than ever. So, um, Brad, thank you so much for being on American Theatre Artists Online. It's been wonderful chatting with you, and we're really, really looking forward to Mrs. Doubtfire and to anything else that you're, we know you're going to be working on. Keep us posted. So if people want to keep updated on what you're working on, where can they go? Do you do social media? Do you do website? How do you, how do you like to keep people informed? You know what? I'm one of those people that has nothing to give you here because I don't. No, I never. No, I don't. I guess just you know, Google. You know, Google do you. what my mother. Yes. Do what my mother does. Yeah, sign up for a Google alert. I think you can sign up for Google alert. <laughs> so everyone, you know, certain people ab- or subjects or whatever. Absolutely. So yeah, so, everyone, Google so alert, that. Brad Oscar. Yes, let's do a Google alert. Google alert. Well, if nothing else, to find out what's going on with Mrs. Dalfire, because that'll certainly be one of the first things coming up, right, for you. Indeed. Yes. Yes. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, it's been great. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you so much, Brad, for being on American Theatre yeah. Artists Online. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You Take as well. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the American Theatre Artists Online podcast. This episode was edited by Zach Walsh. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. If you'd like to share your feedback or send us comments, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at American Theatre Artists Online.